You know, we've been in this series over the last two weeks called Built to Last. And one of the things about this series specifically, as we're tackling head on, this whole idea that, and really this lie, that our worth in this world, our purpose in this world, the most that we can make of ourselves in this world is tied to the amount of things that we have or the notoriety that we can gain. These are all temporary things of this world that even back then in the Bible, Jesus needed to address for his disciples. Because Jesus knew that the point of life here on earth was simply to point us to the world and the life that was to, that was to come in eternity and in heaven. And there's so many times that we can look at our lives here and chase the wrong things. But Jesus Christ wanted to make it very clear that the things that we have in this world, the most important things that we have in this world, relationship with him and the relationship with the loved ones that he has placed in our life and the people that he has called us to love and reach with the gospel and be a blessing to, is are the things that would actually give us purpose here on earth. And when we chase the wrong things, our lives go astray. It's empty. Something's missing. Our soul is just craving for more. But when we live a life that is full of purpose and meaning, treasuring the things that God said to treasure, living the way that God said to live with perspective of eternity in mind, something comes alive in us. And every day that we may live, no matter if it's living with adversity or living in blessing or anything in between, whatever we may face, it'll be worth living because what we treasure is not just in our soul, but displayed in how we live. If our world lived that way, if we lived that way, our world would look like a completely different place. And I think it's interesting that even back then, Jesus had to tackle what are the true treasures of our life and of the world and the world that's to come. And in the world that we're living now, where everything is so hustled and so hurried, where there's so many pressures and, and expectations for us amount to something, one of the most freeing things that we can have is this truth. That God loves us, he's for us, and everything that we have and everything that we attain and everything that we strive for in this world, because things aren't bad. But when these things are for God, those things become radically good, radically powerful, radically life-giving, and it gives us purpose here on earth. Amen. We're going to be reading tonight a passage that we looked at last week, but it's out of Matthew 6, 19 to 21. This is kind of like the bedrock foundational passage for this series called Built to Last. And this passage goes like this. Again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples on what truly to treasure while they're alive here on earth. This is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What we talked about last week was the only thing that we can bring from this side of eternity to the eternity to come is people. We can't bring our cars. We can't bring our shoes. We can't bring the food that we like to eat. At the end of our lives here on earth, the only thing that we are promised to see in heaven are the people that have gone before us and the people that know who Jesus Christ is, that have experienced his love in and through our life. If you think about it this way, we are all answered prayers. Think about that for a little bit. Someone prayed enough, believed enough, enough, 
saw enough potential and purpose and destiny in every single one of us that they would not stop praying and believing until we walked into a relationship with Jesus, whether it was in a small group or a coffee shop or a service, wherever it was, someone was praying for us to be here. Why? Because we are treasured in their eyes. Because they are treasured in God's eyes and they've experienced the greatest treasure knowing him. You are not here by accident. We are not here by accident. God answered a prayer. We are living proof that prayer is real and powerful and amazing. And we are living proof that the love of God displayed through the people of God can transcend generations. We're living proof. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight, specifically something that we should treasure, and it's not just this concept or this idea that Pearlside has, but it is a biblical truth that we're going to look at from the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament and how God weaves this story about the importance of the next generation. Everyone say next generation. You know, here at Pearlside, I just need to let you know, if you haven't figured it out yourself, that this church truly loves young people. This church was started because Pastor Norman had this heart to plant a church and reach families and businessmen and people in the community. But when he planted this church, the people that came were young people that were desperate for God, broken and hurting. Trying to find purpose and destiny without God and seeing how life was just causing them to sway into addictions and hardships and trials and the wrong things and the wrong stuff. The wrong treasures of the world. The things that will just burn up one day or be destroyed or fade away. When this church was planted, young people came through. And we realized at that point that this church was about young people. That's why we have kids church. That's why we have a middle school ministry, a high school ministry. That's why we have a college and young adults ministry. That's why many of us here today have encountered God in those years of our life. Because this church looks at us and they see the potential. The parents of this church, the aunties of the church, the uncles of the church, the grandpas and grandmas of the church, the leaders and the pastors, they see young people and they see potential. And again, it's not a concept because that's my felt experience. I came in as one of those youth 20 years ago, freshman at Pearl City High School, struggling with anxiety and depression and panic attacks not being able to overcome the sadness and grief that I had because of my grandfather passing away. I was headed for nowhere. I wasn't living, I was just existing. And as we're going to talk about throughout this night, when the word of God and the people of God and the truth of God and the spirit of God reaches people, including young people, and a church rises up to its call of making sure that the gospel and the goodness of God goes from generation to generation to generation. We see how the promises of God in the Bible are alive and well today. Amen. I know some of us here are like, I am the next generation. I'm 21 years old. Guess what? There's young people coming up the pipelines. There's young people in your life, siblings, nieces, nephews. Students that you're going to teach, players you're going to coach, neighborhood kids you're going to reach. There are young people everywhere. And the best part about it is this is a church that has said time and time again that we will do this together. It's not just about your youth or your kid or your student. When we talk about the next generation of ProSite, we take it very personally. This is our youth ministry, our next-gen ministry. And we'll do whatever it takes for a young, pe for a young person to come to know Jesus. Amen.
We believe in it 110%. And tonight we're going to be looking at scripture that will kind of lead us through the story. It's a short story, by the way. Like, you got to read the Bible because it's all in there. But we're going to look at different passages that reflect this amazing heart of God that should give us perspective. Whether we're 100 years old, 80 years old, 50, 20, or 15, or whatever age you are tonight. There's a next generation coming. We are answered prayers, but God wants us to see the answered prayers of our lives come to pass in the next generation in our lives. Amen. So that said, can we open up tonight's word with prayer, Lord? We thank you that you are a God of all generations. You see this world and you love this world so much that you would send your son Jesus. And it wasn't just for the times of the Bible that we read in, in the Bible today. This world, present day world, was worth living for, worth sending your son for, worth conquering sin and death for, so that we could have eternal life. So as we talk about the next generation, Lord, I pray that you would give us perspective that no matter how old or young we are in our faith, we can leave a lasting legacy and impact for those that are yet to come, those that have yet to come to know you and live out their purpose, destiny, and calling, Lord. May it be yes and amen. We thank you, Lord. Be the God of the generations to come. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Number one in your notes goes like this. God's plan is for his blessing. Everyone say blessing. To live on for all. Everyone say all. All generations. Number one in your notes. God's plan is for his blessing to live on for all generations. There is this song that became popular over the last few years. And I don't think many of us realize the impact of generations that this song talks about. How many of us have heard the song The Blessing by Carrie Job? Yeah, it's like your jam, like your worship jam, right? Like you're listening to it, you're getting ready, getting ready in the morning, driving to where you need to go. It is a powerful song. It's a song that talks about us placing a blessing of prayer upon our people and the generations that are to come, our families, those that we love, those that we care about, those that God has placed on our heart. There's a reason why that, so, that song comes alive in us because it is a song about multi-generational blessing. But what people don't realize about that song is most of that song is scripture itself. The foundational part of that song is scripture. And we're going to look at why this is important when it comes to the next generation. Numbers 6, 22 to 27. FYI, if you haven't heard that song, take a listen. It's a powerful one. But even beyond that, take a look at scripture itself. Because there is powerful scripture in the living word of God. Amen. Again, number 6, 22 to 27, the leader Moses of the Israelites is talking to Aaron and his sons. And he tells his sons, pray this blessing upon the Israelites, God's people, for their generation and the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Why is this passage significant for us tonight? From the very beginning of time, God placed the responsibility. Say responsibility. He placed the responsibility on his current generation, his people of that generation, to be the ones that would pour out the truth of God to the generations to come. It was their role, their responsibility. Moses, Aaron, the leaders, the parents of that time, the members of that time, 
They were called to carry on the legacy of God's faithfulness to them, leading them out of Egypt, defending them against people that wanted to overtake them and rule them, being faithful time and time again to his people when they strayed and turned away from God. This was a blessing, a promise that they needed to tell and tell and tell and tell. It was their job. It was their role. And my takeaway for all of us tonight is as God has been so faithful to us, so good to us, such a blessing to us, in our lives today, the greatest thing that we have in our relationship with God is also the greatest thing that we can give to others in our generation and the generations to come. That we would speak blessings. That we would speak faithfulness, goodness, and kindness. That the scripture would come alive. That God's face would shine upon the people in our lives, in and through us. It's our responsibility. I want to throw up a photo of my family. Kind of talked about it a little bit later in the message than I had expected to. But I have a photo that I want to show you. This is my wife, Chantel. That is my daughter, or our daughter, Bella. When we took this photo, we were learning how to cut hair. That's why all her bangs are crooked. This was a couple months ago, so they've all grown back, and she looks normal. But when we took this photo, we didn't know how to take and get a little girl to sit still. But I look at this photo. I'll be very honest with you. Growing up, I didn't even think I could be a, a parent. I didn't want to mess up someone's life because I grew up in a broken world, in a broken home. My parents tried their best. But over the course of the 20 years that I've been following Jesus, God has somehow, some way allowed his faithfulness to just be with me in every season. Not just in the highs, but also in the lows. Not just in the wins, but sometimes even in the losses, I was able to encounter and meet God. And I know that in my season as a parent, in my life as a parent, the best thing that I can give my daughter is the truth of God's faithfulness for her to receive and know herself. That God's face would shine upon her every day. It's this cute thing that she does. When we say, it's time to pray, she does this. Pray. And when we say, amen, she says, amen. And I don't think she has any idea what's going on. In fact, when she comes in in the morning to worship, you know what she's doing? She's worshiping God. She's just like this in the back. Like I'm holding her, trying to lay like one hand up, doing whatever I can. But the reason why I believe she's come into those moments where she's like, pray, amen, and whatever else, is because as flawed and broken as we are as parents, we're doing everything that we can to live a life that our daughter would see the glory of God in. That's the only thing that I can give her that's worth giving. And then everything else comes after that. So I just want to ask us tonight, who are the next generation people in your life right now? Is it your children? Is it your grandchildren? Is it your nieces? Is it your, is, is it your nephews? Is it the students you teach? Is it the players you coach? Is it those rascal kids that are riding their electric bike past your house at 2 o'clock in the morning? Yes, amen. We are in agreement. Maybe it's just some of the youth here in this church. That just needs an older brother, older sister, a mentor, someone to believe in. We'll hear a lot more about our next-gen ministries to come and the points further on. But can we just take a moment and be still? Who are those youth? Who are the next generation in your life? 
it's your responsibility as much as it's ours to lead them into relationship with Jesus. Amen. Number two in your notes. God gives us the responsibility to raise up, reach, and disciple the next generation. So we know Moses in his time was told by God to pray a blessing upon his people, God's people. This was supposed to go from generation to generation. Then after Moses comes Joshua. And Joshua was a mighty leader of the Israelites, a mighty leader of God's people. He did one of the most significant things. Leading God's people into the promised land, into the place of God's blessing and breakthrough where he called them to be after he led them out of captivity and enslavement in Egypt. Joshua did it. And he did it because he knew about who God had called his people to be. Who God called him to be. Out of Egypt came Moses and Moses raised up future leaders. The church and the people raised up future leaders. And jo Joshua was one of them. And again, he led them into the place of the promised land. That is significant. But just as significant of this moment of breakthrough was this moment of a mistake. Joshua and the people of his time forgot to pass on the truth of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and just the story of God from their generation to the next. And the crazy thing about that is the generation that came after Joshua never knew who God was, and they suffered because of that. And I'm not trying to say this, or we're not trying to like highlight this passage to make any of us feel depressed, feel like we need to just give up. But a passage like this is sobering. It should remind us that what we have is important, and what we give is important, not just for our generation, but for the generations to come. Again, the generation that followed the triumph of Joshua never knew who God was. And this is how their world went. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him with the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnathair, in the hill countries of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served other gods like Baal, demonic gods, gods of that time and of those worlds. And they abandoned the Lord. God's people abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord's anger because they abandoned the Lord. These young people were supposed to inherit the freedom that the past generations fought for and believed for, sacrificed their lives for so that they could walk in the promised land that God gave them. But we don't know if they were just caught up in the moment or they just took it for granted or maybe they were just getting cocky or whatever the case was. But Joshua's generation forgot to give the next generation the truth of God's word and that generation fell. They bowed down to other things of the world. They gave up on God. They didn't even know who God was and they suffered directly because of that. I want to be very honest with us. We can look at the scripture and be like, man, that, that's really junk for that generation. That's really upsetting. How could Joshua do that? What's going on there? 
But the reality is we are living in very similar times. That we are living in a world, in a time in our country, in our nation, in our state, in our everyday lives. Where God is so distant from the compass of our soul and the compass of all of these different aspects of our world. Whether it be government or education or career paths or health. We've isolated God and put him out of everything that we can. And now we are literally seeing a generation growing up not knowing who God is. There's this amazing book out there called Meet Generation Z. Lots of statistics in there for you to get to know about this generation. This is our current generation right now of young people. Take a look at it. Fantastic read. But here's the most startling, but one of the most saddest stats from that particular book that the research has done from Barna and other kinds of um, research companies. They say that this is the first generation. Everyone say first. This is the first generation in our time in the U.S. that has grown up without knowing who God is. This is the first generation where they are literally living in no foundation, no compass, no direction of God in any sphere of their life. From athletics to academics to education to health. Wherever you want to point them to, they are living in a time where God is put in a box and put away, no longer talked about. And I don't think that it's a coincidence why we see so many young people struggling in life. So many young people giving up on their life. It was already hard back then, but it is much harder right now. We know that there's a very real enemy that is trying to snuff out the lives of young people right before us. And we can look at that moment and just be like, man, like, just... Things are the way that they are. I'm going to give up, give in. Like, man, what can we really do? But the reality of God's word is if God's people rise up, if they take ownership to the moment, if they do exactly what God has asked us to do, share the love of God to the young people in our life so that they would know who God is and live out the goodness of God and live with purpose and destiny with God as the foundation on their campuses, in their families, with their sports teams, wherever they go. The word of God says, there's hope yet, amen? There's hope yet, amen? And I don't know who the young people are that maybe right now you're like, I don't know if there's hope. I don't know if there's a chance. And I just simply and humbly and passionately just ask you, don't give up on them. Don't stop loving them. Don't stop inviting them into your life. Don't stop sharing God's love with them. Because it just takes one moment where everything comes together. And this whole desire of God just doesn't become a prayer you pray, but an experience that they have personally. Just takes one moment. I want to read us a passage that shows us in the Bible itself that things didn't end for God and God's people. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 15. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the example of us as a church, of what we can do when we raise up others to know that they can do the very things that God has called us to do in their life. The Apostle Paul was a great leader in the the New Testament, and he raised up leaders left and right of different regions and different churches. And one of the churches specifically that he raised up a leader in was the church of Ephesus, and that leader was Timothy. He called Timothy to take over this church one day for him and lead the people into knowledge and relationship with God. And this is Paul's encouragement, prayer, blessing upon Timothy. And if we as a church would do that ourselves, man, who knows what would happen with the young people in our life? Who knows the kind of destiny that they could be living in? 
2 Timothy 3.10 to 15 goes like this. You, however, again, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is our responsibility as a church, the young people in our lives, that they would get so close to us in our relationship with God that just like the Apostle Paul, in the highs and the lows and the everything that the Apostle Paul faced, Timothy was right there seeing, witnessing, knowing the conviction of Paul to keep on going no matter what he would face, knowing that people like Timothy was coming up right behind him. That's why I'm thankful that even though the world may say this about the next generation or the world may say that about the next generation, we can be the ones that buck the trend on what the world says, knowing that we have the greatest thing that can change things. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the sake of time, I just want to highlight some of the blessings that are happening in the next generation of our church before we bring things to a close tonight. We know that the pandemic and the last few years have been one of the roughest seasons that this particular generation has faced or will ever face. The kind of things that were taken away from them, robbed of them, the ability to just have normal social skills or normal school rhythms or normal life rhythms in an instant was taken away from them because of things that they couldn't control, things that they couldn't foresee, things that they couldn't change themselves. And one of the things that happened in our church specifically was we saw many of our next generation ministries go through some hard seasons of drought. Let me be very honest with you. We've always been like a church that has thrived with kids and middle school and high school and college. And over the course of this time, we saw many, many young people fall away from their faith. And we also seen the inability of us to do what we do best, going on campus and sharing the love of God with people on the campus, the students, the teachers, and the faculty. Like we saw things begin to dwindle. And coming out of the pandemic this year, it's crazy, right? Like only in 2023, we really made a charge, like just as a state side note. But anyway, we did. And one of the things that we as a church were committed to was saying no matter what it takes, we are going to see the revival of next generation return to Pearlside. Whatever it takes, we are going to see young people in middle school and high school and college come to know Jesus again. Whatever it takes, we're going to see small groups on campuses, our next-gen services full of young people, small groups and discipleship happening anywhere and everywhere on this island. We were believing in faith that we would see it again, and it all culminated with a youth camp that happened this past summer. We have a photo of that youth camp, I believe. Photo of the youth camp. There we go. Nope, that's not the youth camp. Oh, there's a youth camp. There we go. Look at this youth camp. Look at the students. We had three days with them. 
to just empower them to love God and love people, to pray for the power of God to move in and through them and in their lives. This was just this past summer. Last year, it was a win if we just had 20 high schoolers in a small group, like just as a whole church. But can I show you one of the most recent photos that we have of Mililani High School? Take a look at this high school. Jack in the box in Mililani, full of young people in high school coming to know Jesus. Can we give God some praise for that? This did not exist a year ago. This did not exist earlier this year. This is a brand new thing that we are witnessing and experiencing right now. Another photo that I want to share with you, Kamehameha High School. We have a photo of them. They are meeting on campus as well. And guess what? They are an official club on campus. The students that we had there said that we wanted to become an official club so that we could share the love of God with our classmates, with our teammates, with the faculty and the staff. They did it. And they are an official club. And now we're not just on Kamehameha and Milani. We're on Pro City and Campbell and Punahou. We're believing for Iolani and Aea and Waipahu. We are seeing God move in our high school ministry, in our middle school ministry. Our middle schoolers at Moanalua meet at 8 o'clock in the morning and they pray and they go over the guide. Some of our groups start at 7 p.m. at night and we're still late. And the middle schoolers are showing up on time. And I just want to encourage you, like, if you have a chance, and I mean... You guys know what's happening with our college and young adults ministry as well. Like UH Manoa, Tokai University, KCC, LCC, HPU, it's happening. Revival is in our midst. And I just want to ask every single one of us, whether you're 40 or 30 or 20 or whatever, if you have an opportunity to see what God is doing with middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, or even in our kids' church, go take a look. Because there's a lot of great things that are happening with young people in our church. And these are our kids our grandkids, this is our youth. And if we do our role as a church, as uncles and aunties, as mentors and leaders, as pastors and whatever God has called us to be for them, we will see this generation rise up and they will know God. Amen. Last point in our notes tonight. Point number three. The gospel is a legacy. Say legacy. The gospel is a legacy that will never end and it's our calling to share it. I'm going to read us a passage from Psalm 78, 1 to 7. It's going to tie all of the, this uh, message together. And then we're going to watch a video of one of our very own um, middle school students of what God is doing in her life. But I pray that this would be an encouragement for us. Psalm 78, 1 to 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And I will open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter dark sayings of, from old. Things that we have heard, known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. For children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Doesn't get any more clear than that. That is the word of God. The good, the bad, the everything all points to the faithfulness of God. And it is our job for the next generation to know God. Amen.
take a look at this video. It'll be on screen. This is Camille Nino. She's one of our middle schoolers at Highlands Intermediate. She is eighth grade. And when she was in sixth grade in the peak of the pandemic, God placed it on her heart to start a small group at Momi Lani Elementary and see revival happen on her campus, a sixth grader. Her parents go to our church. She has siblings in our church, but God really spoke to her on what she could do for her campus. Take a look up on screen, and I pray that it would move our heart in mighty and wonderful ways. Take a look. Hi, my name is Camille Nino. I am currently 14 years old, and I'm an eighth grader at Highlands Intermediate, and this is my story. Basically, I grew up in the church. My parents were um, Christians before I was born, so me and my siblings were all church kids. We grew up ever since this church was called Grace Bible. I went into a really hard time when I hit first grade. I had the stomach flu and I threw up in class. That's where anxiety just sprouted from. And it's hard as a first grader because you're just learning how to describe yourselves. You still don't completely know what you're feeling. And, you, and I'm pretty sure for my, my mom, it was very hard to help her child knowing that she couldn't do much because she didn't even know what her own daughter was feeling. So then one day, um, I was sitting on the bathroom counter. I was so scared. I didn't know why. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And my mom just t tells me and asks me, do you want Jesus to help you get through it? And of course, as a first grader, I was like, yes. She led me through the um, prayer of salvation. And that's how I became saved. And that's when I started my journey with Christ. There was like a river of peace that like just like fell upon me. Like after I said amen, it felt like my shoulders just dropped. My body felt so relaxed and it felt like everything was just being cleansed out. That was just probably God's peace just flooding out all my fear and all my worry um, and replacing it with his peace and his comfort and his presence. Every time I had to go through and I had to fight anxiety, I had to realize first that I'm not a captive to my, I'm not captive to my anxiety and I actually have the power to fight it. That's where I was actually raised to fight any lie with scripture. Like the Bible says, take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What made me feel like I just, I for real needed to accept him was because there was just a thought knowing that with him, I wouldn't need to go through my situation alone. Uh, that also empowers me to wonder how my friends go through life without Jesus. I remember in sixth grade, when I started my own small group on campus, it was during Seek Week after a prayer pocket where I went home. It was like, I don't it was really late at night. God put on my heart to start my own small group. And so I told my mom, and she's like, yeah, let's do it. I talked with my mentors, like Auntie Melody, and yeah, just my mom. And we negotiated how I could start my own small group on campus. I invited more friends, and 
I led them through the one-to-one -one book. The first chapter was on salvation, of course, and that's how I led multiple of my friends at the same time to the salvation prayer. They started coming and they learned more about God. Some of them be became baptized later on. That's how they started their journey and now they're even inviting their own friends and they're coming to Christ as well. That just shows how God can use one person to multiply more people and more people. And after God kept refreshing me and filling me up with His presence, that opened my eyes to see like this world is so broken and I see so many of my friends going through a rough time and it's so hard for me to sit on the side knowing that I could invite them, like who else would invite them? That thought is what motivated me to continue to invite more people. Knowing that even if they say no or even if they think I'm weird, the most important part was that I gave them an opportunity for them to know Christ. In the end, I planted the seed. It's up to God to keep watering it and it's also up to them for them to accept Christ and that's all I could really do. It's one of our youth, an eighth grader. And what I love about her story is her parents set the example. If you know Chris and Aaron, man, they're very quiet personalities. They talk a lot, they're very quiet. It wasn't supposed to be a dig. They're just great people. And no matter what their kids were going through, they knew the importance. Pass on God. Pass on scripture. Pass on the truth. My daughter is struggling with anxiety. We're going to pray for her and allow her to come into a relationship. We're going to empower her to reach her campus and reach her classmates. Like this is what it's supposed to look like. First in the household. And then secondly in, in our church. Who in their right mind would let a sixth grader start a church, or a, not a church, but a small group? We would. Because we look at young people and we're like, they can do it. They have it in them. They have their classmates. They have their friends. They have their teammates. Their friends need Jesus. They're the best people that can reach them. So let's empower them and let them go. We don't need to wait for a young person to come to know Jesus when they're in their 20s and 30s. Some of the most faith-filled people in our church right now, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating, are in kids' church right now. I kid you not. Because when they are asked to pray for miracles, they'll pray for miracles. When their parents are diagnosed with cancer, they're going to pray for their parents. When their parents are on the verge of divorce, they're going to pray for their parents to come to know Jesus. They're going to do whatever it takes to give whoever it needs the opportunity to know Jesus because childlike faith is what pleases God. And that's something that we all need in our life, amen? That's something in our life that we need to pass on to the next generation in our life, amen?